Once upon a time and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and will bring you back safely. Well, maybe not as safely as usual. Episode 9B is fairy tales you think you know but have not heard told like this. However, this episode is for adults because, let's be honest, most fairy tales have adult themes. These stories are absolutely lovely and not overly graphic, but feature situations that may not be suitable for younger ears. If younger ears are near, I would suggest listening to episode 9A. I have two tellers and three stories for you today. Really, I could retitle this episode to be about mothers. These classic tales revolve around women and the instinct of motherhood to protect and nurture whether or not the child is yours. These are classic stories that we've all heard at one time or another, but never quite told like this. The first story is Rapunzel and is told by Janice Del Negro, a storyteller from Chicago. When he came in through the window... All she could see was shadow, surrounded by a halo of light. It seemed as if the prince himself gave off the heat she felt rise to her cheeks. His words slipped over her skin like warm honey. There was no question she would let him in. If her mother had discovered her subsequent condition, would she have turned her out? After all those years of devotion, after waiting so long for a child, would a mother have been able to send her daughter, her grandchildren, to a desolate waste? Sometimes the way the story goes depends on who gets to tell it. The only way out of the tower was for Rapunzel to cut her hair. Contrary to what you might have heard, it was no great loss. She cut the braid of golden rope just above her waist, tied that severed braid to the iron ring at the window, and lowered herself to the ground. On her back, she carried all she owned, needle and thread, spindle and wheel, flint and knife, bowl and cup. In her head, she carried all she knew, all her mother had taught her, the ways of plants, the paths of birds, the riches of the wood and how to reap them. Who decided that the time was ripe for leaving? It was early spring when Rapunzel left the tower. It was nearly winter two years later when he found her. The prince had been searching for many months. Sure her mother had cursed her. Sure he would never find her. Sure he would be desolate of heart always. She was not far. She was not hidden. But he was blinded by his sorrow. He looked only at the ground, searching for the signs of a broken woman, a snapped twig, a scrap of cloth, a faded footprint. He never thought to look up, where he would have seen a thin wisp of smoke rising from the chimney of a cottage where there should be no cottage, evidence of warmth where there should be no warmth. It was by the children's laughter that he found her. They spent that winter together in front of the hearth in the woods, his head in her lap, her tears in his eyes, their children at their feet. In the spring, they journeyed to his kingdom where they were met with great rejoicing. 
but every winter thereafter they returned to the hearth in the woods, where her mother came to visit them. Sometimes the way the story goes depends on who gets to tell it. The second story is told by Melbury Birch, who takes the classic Snow White and asks questions about the Queen, questions that put the story in a very different light indeed. This is Melbury Birch and what the Queen saw. The castle was full of stories of the King's first wife, whispered by the ladies' maids, how she had barely been a woman in her turn, how she had prayed for a daughter to set among her playthings, how the young queen had chanted a little song over her embroidery frame by the window, calling for a child with hair as dark as ebony and skin as white as snowfall, how she had added a verse about lips as red as blood when she pricked herself with the needle. Whatever answered the prayer got it more than right. The baby whom the child queen delivered was black-haired at birth, premature and pale, her mouth a tiny rosebud against the luminous skin. Before the priest could come, the baby had been baptized in her mother's ebbing blood. Even as his dead wife was being washed, the king lifted up the tiny child and named her Snowdrop. It's a tragic thing to die in childbed, agreed the king's second wife when she heard the story. Her heart was touched by the tale of a grieving king. But she had not been told how the monarch had hired a succession of nursery maids, young girls from the countryside, who found the stone hallways and the king's groping hands all too confining. At last there wasn't a household in the realm eager to send their daughters to work at the castle. Meanwhile, the king's talent as a rake did nothing to fill his coffers. The new queen was his equal in years, and a boon to his treasury. He put aside his taste for little girls to make this match, glad for the land, the herds, the flocks, and the servants that made up her dowry. She had come to the marriage willingly enough. With thirty summers behind her, she feared her chance to give anyone sons had passed her by. But her belly had swelled quickly after the wedding night. Six months later came blood upon the sheets. In the year after she lost the twins, there was a girl child. In the year after that, there were twins again. But none survived. At last, the midwife predicted that the queen would bear no living child for as long as she was coupled with the king. Hearing this pronouncement, he turned away from her. So five years into her marriage, the queen peered into the looking-glass and could not bear what she saw. 
the graying tendrils of her hair, the spidery creases at the edges of her eyes, the thickness at her waist. Perhaps I should be grateful that I can see myself at all, she mused, for neither the king nor his daughter seemed to see her as she went about their business. As mistress of the household, she had the keys to the castle, from the kitchen to the counting-house. The servants looked after her. Cook especially went out of her way to be kind. And the royal huntsman, who had been her brother's playmate, brought her pine garlands from the forest to sweeten the castle's dank halls. She had her days to herself, since the king's manner doting and tutelage filled his daughter's calendar. For a time, the disheartened queen kept to her room in her books, looking for magics that might reverse these last chapters of her life. Her servants shook their heads and redoubled their efforts to console her. Eventually, they coaxed the queen out of bed and into the gardens. There she contented herself, studying the flowers and cultivating herbs. She was alone in the greenhouse one day, bent over the seedlings, when she saw the king come down the path, leading Snowdrop to the garden swing. Watching the way he gathered up the girl, placed her on his lap, and nuzzled her, the queen stood gape-mouthed and blushing. Then it came to her to rap upon the windowpane with her garden spade, till in her agitation she broke the glass. When he heard the sound, the king stood up again and took Snowdrop by the hand to guide her back into the house. The queen looked down at the jagged shards of glass and saw her shattered reflection. It was after that day that she began to take long walks in the woods, looking for ferns and cuttings too dangerous to be grown in a greenhouse. Her escort on these walks was the royal huntsman. As they stooped to pull the berries from the bushes or pluck the mushrooms from the path, she spilled her heart's dark contents into his willing ear. The king has made it clear that I cannot stop him, from taking his pleasure with his daughter. Last night, he took the priest into my study and confiscated my books and bottles of herbs. If I accuse him publicly, he swears he'll have me hanged as a witch. Speaking the truth will buy me death. And will it give the child back what she's lost? asked the huntsman. Think of this instead. And he reminded her of a race of little people, bred small to mine the king's caves. They live in earthen houses dug into these hillsides, he told her, and are well known for their care of stray animals and of foundlings. He stopped and pointed at a fruit in the gnarled branches of a tree above them. There. That's the one I told you about. Poison apple, 
she asked, reaching up. In the morning, the queen went to the counting house and filled a bag with gold pieces. She called for the huntsman and told him, Take Snowdrop into the woods and leave her there. Give this gold as recompense for those who would care for her. Tell them there will be a day when I will send for her to come home. The princess was gone before lunchtime. The queen oversaw the menu, chose the embroidered cloth and the linens. The centerpiece of the meal was a suckling pig, dressed prettily with apples and mushrooms. The funeral was a grand one. Some months later, the queen's consort sat by the hearth, crafting a cradle out of wicker and wood. The scent of pine garlands filled the room as she watched her huntsman carve the headboard. Then the queen looked into the mirror, took in the graying tendrils of her hair, her face made creased by sunlight and smiling, her belly full of suns, and she liked what she saw. The Fairy Tale sponsor for this episode is Helpful Animals Removal Service. So you invited a few squirrels to help clean the dishes and they won't leave? Those bluebirds that helped the sweeping now pooping on the floors as they raised their children in the chandelier? Helpful Animal Removal Service, HARS, is here for you. They'll begin with humane approaches to removal, including singing, caging, and tranquilizers. If those methods don't work, don't worry. HARS will stop at nothing until every friendly creature is removed, bit by bit. HARS, we whistle while we work, so you don't have to. For a final story, Janice Del Negro returns to reimagine a classic story. I'll not tell you what it is. You can figure that out by yourself with your clever ears. This is called Betrayal. Enjoy. Perhaps it was the wrong choice. But she was so frightened, so friendless. It was worse than when she had first been brought to court. Her face, when the king told her what she was to do or die, her face turned colors, her cheeks first flushed, then ashen. Her eyes were hopeless. They locked her in a room full of straw. Of course it was ridiculous. No one could do it, spin straw into gold. But the king was an old fool. They both were her father for his drunken ravings, and the king for believing them. Oh, perhaps it was the wrong choice. But I knew he was her only hope, the only one who could help her. So I went into the woods and called him by name. He came. We were old friends, after all. He went to her in that locked room. His shadow must have been huge upon the walls. She traded him her necklace that first night, and then she slept. When she woke, the room glowed, 
with skein upon skein of golden thread in tangled piles that reached her knees. I saw the king's eyes when he saw the gold and knew she was not safe yet. He locked her in another room, larger than the first, with still more straw. I went to the woods and called again. That night she traded her ring for her life, and in the morning the pile of golden skeins reached her waist. The king was Greed's minion. That night, when he locked her into the third largest room, she found the spirit to tell him, The third time's the charm. After this, I can spin no more. Spin this, and you will be queen, he said. She shuddered at the thought. That night, when I went to the woods, he was waiting for me. She traded life for life that night. Would you have done differently? When the king opened the door in the morning, she was curled against it, and the room overflowed with the glittering thread. I was maid servant to the queen after that. She would have me by her always, especially when she found she was with child. I fed the king the herbs that would let him believe the child could be his. After the baby was born, the queen watched the windows and doors starting at every sound. And finally, he came. His shadow was huge and dark in the firelight. I stood between him and the cradle as the queen wept and pleaded and wept some more. Only a monster could have been deaf to her beseeching. He was not a monster. And another bargain was made. The queen made list after list, and for two days she did not eat or sleep. Oh, perhaps it was the wrong choice, but by the third day she was frantic, wild with fear and grief. It was worse, much worse, than when she first came to the castle. I knew he was no monster, and I knew why he wanted a son. His father had bargained for him for much the same reason, but she did not know. And she was desperate. She concealed a dagger in the cradle. For herself, for the child, for him, I did not know. But now I was frightened, too. Oh, perhaps it was the wrong choice. Oh, not the final draft that sent the king to his maker. It made the queen regent and her son king. No, I never questioned that one but the other. Perhaps it was the wrong choice. She was so young, and she was so alone. The child was all she had that was really hers. Perhaps it was the wrong choice. But I was moved to pity. I told her his name. When she spoke it to him, he disappeared in a swirl of dry, blowing leaves. And now, there is no one who knows what he knew. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show notes and more information about the storytellers you heard today can be found at storystorypodcast.com forward slash episode nine. Show the love. Find Janice Del Negro and Milbury Birch on Facebook. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. If you want to support this podcast, you can do that and get an extra story per podcast. The bonus story for the patrons for episode 9B is another Cinderella story by Mailberry Birch. You can find the options to support us at storystorypodcast.com. And I want to say thank you to our three supporters on Patreon. You know who you are. I know who you are. And I appreciate you. If you would like to stay connected or offer feedback, you can find me and the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, or join the mailing list. You can leave a rating and a comment on iTunes or however else you listen to your podcasts. This helps other people find the stories and is so appreciated. Let us know your favorite story that you've heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear them here soon. I'll be back again with stories and I hope you'll join me. And until then, live happily ever after.